Welcome back to Historical Context. Today we continue our series on the English Commonwealth and the American colonies during the English Commonwealth. We return to Rhode Island this week where the colony had agreed to reunite in 1653 with a little help from the Commonwealth and from William Coddington's opponents. But it would take a year to accomplish this unification. In March of 1653, an order came from the Council of State requesting that the colony arm and defend itself from pending Dutch aggression. So you've got the United Colonies trying to work on something in New England. Rhode Island is sitting alone and the Commonwealth says you better prepare for issues from New Netherland. In the struggles to unite the colony, a letter comes from Sir Henry Vane. And if you'll recall, he was a former Massachusetts Bay governor. In his letter, Vane could not understand why the colony was fighting. He asked questions like, quote, Is not the fear and awe of God amongst you to restrain? He also said, and I quote, Are there no wise men amongst you? Obviously, Sir Henry Vane is forgetting the fact that he is a contributor to the very mess that uh, the colony is in. He entertained the claims of both Roger Williams and William Coddington, which is what created the Rhode Island split to begin with. I found it very funny that the guy who literally created this problem was complaining about its very existence and doesn't understand why people would get, wouldn't get along. Despite the difficulties, a reunion of the colony occurred in August of 1653, and articles were drafted with terms agreed upon. Let's have a look at the Articles of Agreement. Whereas there have been differences and obstructions amongst the four towns of this colony of Providence plantations in New England, namely Providence, Portsmouth, Newport, and Warwick, Arising by Mr. Coddington's commission, we, the commissioners of all four towns, do agree, first, that all transactions done by the authority of the inhabitants of the two towns of Rhode Island from the time of Mr. Coddington's commission taking place there until Mr. Dyer brought over further orders from the Honorable Council of State in the year 1652 shall remain on the account of the two towns of the above said island and all the transactions of Providence and Warwick in that space to remain on their own account and further that all the transactions of the aforesaid two towns Portsmouth and Newport and a part of Warwick and Providence with them since Mr. Dyer's bringing of the foresaid orders to this very time shall remain on their own account and whatsoever transactions have been in the said time by the rest of the inhabitants of Warwick and Providence professing themselves two towns shall remain on their the said inhabitants own account professing themselves two towns so that's the first point further in the agreement there's two more points let's have a look secondly we the commissioners of the four towns above said do agree and are willing to order this colony by authority of the charter granted to us by the honored parliament of the commonwealth of england bearing date the 14th of march 
1643. Thirdly, we agree that the general court of this colony or general assembly to transact all affairs except election as making of laws trial of general officers shall be held by six commissioners chosen by each town of the colony. So in summary, what that says is we are going to act like the charter of our colony has been in place since 1643. That's Roger Williams' original charter. But we're going to honor any actions taken under the Coddington regime. Six representatives will be chosen from each town to make up the general court. So on that third point, it's interesting that each town got equal representation, no matter their population. And that may play a part here later on. In Callender's Historical Discourse of Rhode Island, he mentions that Roger Williams Church split in 1654. And within a year of that, Dr. Clark's church also split. Both churches split over the issue of, quote, laying of hands during baptism. The new United Colony also prohibited trade with the Dutch, reenacted a law against selling liquor to the natives, and set the date for the general election. On September 12, 1654, at the general election, the first one of the whole Rhode Island Colony again, the new president of the colony elected was Roger Williams. The year 1655 involved a lot of infighting within the colony. While unity and governance had been achieved, differences in opinion remained. The Rhode Island Historical Society notes that a man by the name of Henry Fowler violated a law by getting married without a formal published announcement. Fowler pled with the court that at the meeting he was supposed to declare his marriage, the people running the meeting were too busy arguing with one another. Fowler argued that if they wanted to see him respect the law, they should follow it first. The town excused Fowler of any penalties, but Roger Williams was furious. The colonists in 1655 were all required to sign a submission statement to His Highness the Protector and to Parliament. This was not required in New England, so I wonder if this was a part of the deal Williams struck while he was over there. In 1656, William Coddington joined the general court as a commissioner from Newport. So this is interesting. The guy who caused all the drama just a few years earlier is now a commissioner. The court decides to conduct a special investigation into his actions, and ultimately Coddington was accepted onto the court. The court passed a law that required publication of marriage to be made either in a town meeting or announced at the head of a company on a training day. Now, Callender's historical discourse says that the Quakers started showing up in 1656 or 57 after being persecuted in other colonies. Callender notes that many in the Baptist church 
embrace their doctrines and opinions. By the 18th century, there would be eight Quaker meeting houses in the colony. In 1657, a man named William Harris appears in the historical record. Harris may have been America's first anarchist because he had a self-described, quote, contempt for all governments. Roger Williams tried to have Harris impeached for treason. Based on his writings, it appears that Williams acted alone. Harris would be found not guilty and would not face any penalties. It seemed to be the last act for Williams as president because that May, Benedict Arnold was named president of the colony. This is obviously 120 years plus before the betrayal, so this is not the same Benedict Arnold, but it is the same family. In September 1657, a letter arrived from the commissioners of the United Colonies. So the United Colonies is writing to Rhode Island, with which uh, Rhode Island, you know, not being a member. And the letter was regarding the Quakers. This ought to be interesting. The United Colonies urged Rhode Island to expel their Quakers and prohibit any others from entering. Despite the letter being directed to the president, Benedict Arnold took the letter to the court to draft a response. In that response, the colony declared that they would enforce all their existing laws, but they would not do anything that would violate their charter's intent to allow their citizens their freedom of conscience. Not only did Rhode Island allow Quakers entry, but they publicly defended their decision to their colonial neighbors. In the fall of 1658, Rhode Island again dealt with its treatment of the Quakers. In a letter to England, the court said that, quote, We have found no just cause to charge them with the breach of the civil peace. There was another passage in that letter. Let's have a look at the writing. We fly as a refuge in all civil respects to His Highness and Honorable Council as not being subject to any other in matters of our civil state. So may it please you to have an ear and eye open in case our adversaries should speak to undermine us in our privileges granted unto us and plead our cause in such short as that we may not be compelled to exercise any civil power over men's consciences, so long as human orders, in point of civility, are not corrupted and violated. This seems like a very wise extension to Thomas Hooker's quote in the late 1630s. So now Rhode Island is standing up for Quakers to the United Colonies and to England. In 1659, the colony sent a letter to England acknowledging and praising the rise of Richard Cromwell to Lord Protector. Additionally, the colony began to see settlements popping up to the west of its claim, between Rhode Island and Connecticut, with those residents appealing for recognition to either Connecticut or Massachusetts. 
I want people to keep in mind that Rhode Island was not the size that it is today. It was much smaller, more to the east. So now what you would know today is western Rhode Island, maybe eastern Connecticut, you've got settlements popping up and those people want to be recognized as Connecticut or Massachusetts Bay. And that is starting to worry the Rhode Island colonist. In May 1659, communication was sent to Connecticut Governor John Winthrop the Younger regarding this issue. A committee was put together to purchase more land west of their west line and to purchase it from the natives. In August, a letter was drafted to the United Colonies and to Massachusetts directly regarding what the colony called illegal purchases in those territories. This boundary dispute is the start of a decades-long fight over sovereignty of this area. So we've got something to look forward to between Rhode Island, Connecticut, and Massachusetts. Next week, we are going to look at New Netherland during this period of time before we conclude our series. So we got two episodes left. One next week is going to be New Netherland, and then the one after that we'll talk about the actual end of the English Commonwealth in England. So we'll start with New Netherland next time on Historical Context. <laughs>